I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I believe that the day I die, my soul will go to heaven, because I'm saved. I think when you die, that, and before you get to heaven, you get a chance to kind of review your life um, and look back on all of the things that you've done. I think that there is a period in time where you get to kind of reflect before you're entered into the gates. Um, I think that there is some, you know, in between period. I, I believe that we go, I believe that our spirits goes to heaven immediately. I, I know there's some controversy over that, but I believe that um, when we die, our bodies die, but um, Christ has our spirit and we immediately are in heaven. Christ told the thief on the cross that today he would be with him in glory. Yeah. So we yeah. pass on from here, we enter into glory with Christ. Theologian Reinhold Niebuhr said one time, it's unwise for Christians to claim a knowledge of either the furniture of heaven or the temperature of hell. And while it's true there are certain things about heaven and hell, we can't know for sure there's one thing that is crystal clear. And that is, we are all going to die one day. And because of that, we are going to one of two of those destinations, heaven or hell. In his book, Heaven, Randy Alcorn observes that worldwide, three people die every second, 180 die every minute, and 11,000 every hour. If the Bible is right about what happens to us after death, it means more than 250,000 people every day go either to heaven or to hell. That blows our minds, doesn't it? So many people dying every day. Why is it that none of us gets out of this world alive? Why is it that death is inevitable for every one of us? In Ecclesiastes 9 verses 2 and 3, Solomon says, It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice, and for the one who does not sacrifice. That is, it doesn't matter whether you're good, bad, righteous, unrighteous, a believer or an unbeliever, there's one fate for everybody, that is death. We're all going to die. There's one fate, but there are two different destinies, heaven or hell. Well, why is it both Christians and non-Christians have to die? Well, we've talked about it before. It's because of the virus of sin we've all inherited. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And you know, not only is there an inevitability of death because of sin, but death brings its own kind of terror to all of us. Job called death the king of terrors. In Job 18 verse 14, he is torn from the security of his tent and they march him before the king of terrors. The psalmist said, my heart is in anguish within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Death is the nightmare of all nightmares for those who die without faith in Jesus Christ. The actor Jack Nicholson a few years ago, was in a movie with Morgan Freeman called The Bucket List. Many of you might have seen that movie. It was about two men who had 
terminal cancer and they decided that they would do everything on their list of things they wanted to do before they kicked the bucket. But Jack Nicholson in an interview said that the making of that movie was transformational in his own life and his own thinking. In an interview, Nicholson said, I used to live so freely. The mantra for my generation was, be your own man. I always said, hey, you can have whatever rules you want. I'm gonna have mine. I'll accept the guilt. I'll pay the check. I'll do the time. I chose my own way. That was my philosophical position well into my 50s. As I've gotten older, I've had to adjust. We all want to go on forever, don't we? We fear the unknown. Everybody goes to that wall, yet nobody knows what's on the other side. That's why we fear death. It's understandable for unbelievers to fear death. But if we're honest, for many who are Christians, there's also a fear of death because of an unknown. What is it that awaits us on the other side? What happens to a Christian when he dies? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we continue our series, A Place Called Heaven. We're going to talk about what happens to Christians when they die. Do they cease to exist? Do they go to sleep for a thousand years awaiting some future resurrection? Do they go into a waiting place, a purgatory, hoping somebody will pray hard enough or give enough money to get them out of that place? What happens to a Christian when they die? That's what we're going to look at today. One of my mentors in seminary used to admonish us to make heaven the centrality of our preaching. And he I said, I can hear him say it. It was decades ago, but he would say, men, remember, we are not in the land of the living headed to the land of the dying. Instead, we are in the land of the dying on our way to the land of the living. And that's true for a Christian. Death is not the end. It's not the terminus. It is just the beginning of our eternal reunion with God. That is what awaits Christians. Well, when does that happen? To understand what happens to a Christian when he or she dies, it is important that we distinguish between what I call the present heaven and the future heaven. We've talked about this before. The fact that when we talk about the present heaven, the third heaven, that is where God is right now. And that is where we go the moment we die. We go into the presence of God. But that is not our eternal dwelling place. There is a present heaven where God is. But in John 14, Jesus said he is in that present heaven preparing a new place for us. I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven where God is is already prepared. But Jesus is working on a new location for us. There is a future heaven that one day will come out of the present heaven and descend to the newly recreated earth. Isn't that what John said in Revelation 21? I saw a new heaven and a new earth descending. The new Jerusalem that Jesus is working on is going to descend out of the current heaven and reside right here on this recreated earth. That is our ultimate destination as believers. But the moment we die, there is an immediate departure from this world into the presence of God. How do I know that? 
Look at what the scripture says about the immediacy of our entrance into God's presence. There's no soul sleep. There's no waiting station. A Christian goes immediately into the presence of God. For example, in Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus said to the thief on the cross who had just exercised faith, he said what? Today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not a thousand years. Today you will be with me in paradise. In Acts 7.59, the Bible says they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In Philippians 1.23, Paul said, but I, Paul, am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. To depart this world is to be with Christ. That Greek word, depart, is the word analuo. It means to loosen. Specifically, it's a word in classical Greek that is used to refer to the untying of a ship from its mooring so that it can set sail. And that's the word Paul uses here to describe what happens to us. The moment we die, we are loosened from being tethered to this world and this body, and we sail on immediately to be in the presence of God. But the most seminal passage in all of the Bible that describes what happens to Christians when they die is found in the passage I want you to turn to, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Paul has just said in verse 1 that if this earthly house, which is our body, our tent is torn down, we have a building, a body from God, not temporal but eternal. Paul says this body is nothing more than a temporary dwelling place. It's like a tent. Who wants to live in a tent for all eternity? It is just a tent that will be folded up and put away one day. Now having said that, look at what he says in verse 6. Therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, he's saying that tongue in cheek, after saying our body is a tent, this body is in our home. It's just a temporary dwelling place. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, here's what I saw this week. In the Greek language, this tense suggests a continuous action. The literal translation of this verse is, while we continue to be in this body, we continue to be absent from the Lord. We can't be in two locations at once. As long as we are here, we can't be there. I had a great illustration of that in my own life this week. The last minute, I had to make a quick trip to New York City for about 36 hours. And um, I went there. It was fine. I like New York City just fine. I had a jam-packed schedule, assignments that I had to fulfill from four in the morning until midnight. I was busy. I met people for the first time that I didn't know. I met a lot of friends I already had. But the whole time I was there, I couldn't wait to get back home. And the reason is, New York City is not my home. It's a temporary place for me, but it's not my home. My home is in Dallas. But as long as I continued to be up there, I continued not to be here at my real home. Now that's what Paul is saying for a Christian. We think this world is our home. It's not. It's not. It is a temporary location. 
Yes, we have people we like and we love here. Yes, God has given us an assignment here on earth that's very important, but it's temporary. This is a temporary location. And as long as we continue to be here, we continue not to be at home with the Lord. That's what he's saying. But look at what he says in verse 8. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. The tense this is in suggests a forever completed action in the past. What he is saying is, I prefer to be once for all absent from the body so that I can be once for all at home with the Lord. And that's what happens to us when we die. The moment we leave this body, we are forever at home with the Lord. That's what happens to a Christian when he dies. Now, some people may say, well, what about those who died before Jesus? What happened to the Old Testament saints? What happened to Abraham and David and Jeremiah? Where are those people right now? Where did they go when they died? It's an interesting question. First of all, were they even saved? I mean, they lived before Jesus, before Jesus offered his sacrifice. How were the Old Testament saints saved? There's a very simple answer to that. People in the Old Testament were saved just like you and I are saved. They were saved by the death of Jesus on the cross for their sins. Jesus was the only one who could pay the sin penalty. You say, well, wait a minute. They lived before Jesus. How could Jesus' death save them if they lived before Jesus? Have you ever wondered about that? Well, it's easy. They were saved on credit. Now, you understand the concept of credit. Maybe some of you all too well, you understand the concept of credit. You know, it's an amazing thing when you think about it. You can go to Home Depot or you can go to Sears and you can buy a washing machine. And the funny thing is, you don't have to pay a dollar for it. All you have to do is take out this little worthless piece of plastic, hand it to the clerk, and guess what? You can walk out with that washing machine without paying one dollar. It's yours for free until the bill comes due 30 days later. Then it has to be paid for, doesn't it? Now, it was the same way with the Old Testament saints. They didn't have any plastic credit cards, but what they did have was faith. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed in the Lord and God reckoned, literally accounted it to him as righteousness. Abraham, as well as all the Old Testament saints, believed whatever God revealed to them. And their little bit of faith in and of itself was just as worthless as a plastic credit card. Faith can't save us. It can't save you. It can't save me. We can only be saved by the blood of Christ. But their exercise of their little amount of faith and believing whatever God told them allowed them to be saved on credit. And the bill for their sins, just like the bill for our sins, came due, well, not 30 days later, 2,000 years later. It came due on Mount Calvary. And Jesus paid that debt for all of us. And that's why some of his final words on the cross were, it is finished. Literally, te telestai, paid in full. 
That's how the Old Testament saints were saved, the same way you and I are saved, by the blood, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. They were saved on credit. So where did they go? Where did they go? Well, to understand where they went, you need to understand the concept of Sheol and Hades. Now, Sheol is a Hebrew word that simply means covered or hidden. There are a lot of people who believe that before Christ came, there was a dwelling place for both the righteous and the unrighteous called Sheol. Think of it like a big duplex that's divided into two parts. And Sheol had two parts. One part was for the righteous, the saved, and it was called Abraham's bosom. The other half was for the unrighteous. In the New Testament, it's called Hades. And the idea was when people in the Old Testament died, they either went to uh, Abraham's bosom, paradise, or they went to the bad place in the duplex, Hades, a place of suffering. And so the thinking goes that when Jesus finally died on the cross after his death and before he was raised from the dead, during those days, he went down or wherever it was to Sheol and he emptied out the good part of the duplex, Abraham's bosom. And he took all the Old Testament saints from there to be with God in heaven forever. People who believe that even have a passage of scripture. They point to Ephesians 4, talking about Jesus. He who ascended first descended to the lower parts of the earth, and he led captivity captive. Someday when I preach through Ephesians, I'll show you that's not what that passage is talking about at all. I don't believe that is at all what happens. But this concept of two destinations, one for the righteous and one for the unrighteous, is biblical. We find it in Luke chapter 16. This is where you find the concept of Abraham's bosom and Hades, but it's not in some divine duplex. You remember the story Jesus told. Two men died. One man was a poor man. His name was Lazarus. And when he died, he immediately went to Abraham's bosom. Now, he didn't go to a place of blessing because he was poor. There's nothing uh, righteous about being poor necessarily. He went there because he trusted in God. In fact, that's what the name Lazarus means. God is my helper. That's why he was welcomed into the place of the righteous. The rich man died and he went to Hades. Now look at verse 22. Now it came about that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades... The rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham, now underline this, far away, and Lazarus was in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus, that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in his flame. You know, this passage reminds us of a couple of things. First of all, not everyone goes to the same location when they die. There's not one destiny, there are two destinies. Remember, Jesus is the one saying this. There is a place of blessing and there is a place of judgment. And secondly, this passage reminds us that when we die, we immediately begin experiencing either God's blessing or God's wrath. There's not a waiting time for the future. Immediately, Lazarus was welcomed to Abraham's bosom and began experiencing all God had for him. Immediately, the rich man was in Hades, a place of torment. 
You know, what I believe this passage teaches is Abraham's bosom, paradise is not some part of a divine duplex. It's where God is right now. That's what it says. This place, Abraham's bosom, was far away. It wasn't next door to Hades. It was far away. And not only that, he says in verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed. I believe that a believer, when he dies, immediately goes into the presence of the Lord. That's where the Old Testament saints went. They went into the presence of the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's another name for the presence of the Lord. Believers go immediately into God's presence. And while we are there, we're awaiting that creation of the new heaven and the new earth that will be our permanent destination. Now that leads to the question, well, what happens to unbelievers when they die? Just like believers have a current destination, the third heaven, and a future destination, the new heaven and new earth, so there is a temporary and eternal destination for the unsaved. The unsaved immediately go to this place called Hades. Look again at Luke 16, verses 23 and 24. And in Hades... The rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Hades is the temporary waiting place of the unsaved dead. It's not purgatory. It is a place of horrible torment that begins the moment an unbeliever dies. That's where the unbelievers go right now, to this place called Hades. But that's not their final destination. Their final destination is the lake of fire. Turn over to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 15. John talks about what happens after the millennium, before the new heaven and new earth. John says, and I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it and whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small were standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And look at this and death and Hades the temporary place of all the unsaved since the days of Adam. Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into where? The lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It is a place of eternal suffering. People aren't destroyed in the lake of fire. We have uh, Satan, the beast, and the false prophet are all thrown into the lake of fire before the millennium. A thousand years later, they are still alive, and they are still burning and being tormented. So it will be with all unbelievers. It is a place of forever suffering. Right now, when an unbeliever dies, he goes immediately to this terrible place called Hades. The common experience, though, in both the temporary location, Hades, and the ultimate place for the unsaved, the lake of fire, is agony, physical pain. 
Notice again in Luke 16, 24, the rich man says he is in agony because of the flames. 2 Peter 2, 9 tells us, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. What Peter is saying is right now, those who die without Christ are in Hades awaiting their final judgment, the great white throne judgment. And at that judgment, Hades will be emptied and all the unsaved who have ever lived from the beginning of time will stand before the white throne judgment of God. And because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, the book that records all those who have trusted in Jesus, because their name is not in that book, they will be judged by their deeds in all of the books. That's a choice they made in this life. The reason their name is not in the Lamb's book of life is they said, I don't need God's grace. I don't need the blood of the Lamb. I will stand on my own good works to enter into heaven. And God says, fine, you don't want to be judged by grace and accept grace. We'll judge you by your works. And on that day, every unbeliever who's ever lived will see that his works, as good as they might have been, do not meet the standard of 100% righteousness that God requires. Every unbeliever will understand on that day why he has been sentenced to the lake of fire. If any man's name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. Here is the basic truth everyone needs to understand. When we die, we immediately begin experiencing either God's blessing or God's judgment. And while it's true that at some future day, believers will change location from the third heaven to the new heaven on this new earth. And while it's true that unbelievers will also change location from Hades into the lake of fire, a change of location is not the same as a change of eternal destiny. Heaven and hell are eternal choices. My friend Erwin Lutzer says it this way, five minutes after you die, you will either have had your first glimpse of heaven with its euphoria and bliss, or your first genuine experience of unrelenting horror and regret. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. In those first moments, you will be more alive than you have ever been. Vivid memories of your friends and your life on planet Earth will be mingled with a daunting anticipation of eternity. You will have had your first direct glimpse of Christ, or you will have had your first encounter with evil as you have never known it, and it will be too late to change your address. If you wait until you die to choose your destination, you will have waited one second too long. Hell and heaven are forever choices. 